Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And we got a really exciting uh, podcast today. Lots to talk about to uh, start this podcast off. A lot of big uh, transactions that have gone down over the last week, week and a half. Uh, and we also have a guest on the podcast, uh, which will be coming at the end uh, of the podcast. So um, make sure you stick around for that. We're really excited to uh, talk to Garrett Hall about some uh, Winnipeg Jets talk because they have been a a pointed part of conversation, I would say. Um, but we'll we'll leave that for now because there was a couple other really big moves that happened this week. Uh, let's start with the first one. That is William Nylander signing an eight-year contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs for $92 million, I believe, total, $11.5 million per year. Um, massive, massive signing, obviously. he's This is the most money the Leafs have ever given out on a single contract, and I think it makes him a top-five paid player for next year. Um, what was your first reaction, Chase? And, the, and then we'll kind of get into you know what it means for the team and, and obviously for Nylander and all that. My first reaction was that's a lot of money for Willie. I like Willie, but I that's tough to stomach, I think. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. When I saw this, I went holy, like I think there's a fair enough argument. He's I mean, I like there's a I think he is worth eleven point five million dollars right now, but projecting that forward over the next eight years, I don't that's feel tough. Yeah. This um, is the first time he's ever been that too yeah like maybe you could argue last year but it was close right close but like so my biggest takeaway was this first good for nylander i mean as i feel like we always have to state with these when we're looking at objectively from just a purely analysis on ice standpoint it does not mean we think it's a, a bad deal for the player like of course the player is going to accept this. And this if this is what he put down as his terms and the Toronto Maple Leafs felt they had to do that, that great for Nylander. Yes, very great for Nylander. But the biggest thing I still can't really wrap my head around, I guess, is what I'll say um, about how this transaction went down was just like three months ago, four months ago, everyone was in agreement that William Nylander's market was the pessim- most pessimistic people were probably eight, eight and a half. And that would have obviously been a very team friendly discount to the top end of it was like 10, 10 and a half, you know, like anything over 10 and a half, everyone basically agreed would be pretty absurd. And you can't just take the games away because he's played phenomenally so far this year, but 36 games or whatever it was before this got signed is all that took to make you go from no, we're only offering you 8.9 or whatever it was in the summer to here's 11.5. I just, I I don't understand the logic from Toronto's standpoint there. Yeah, not even, like you can't do that. And the, like the play has been better, but there's been some percentages going his way too. Like there's, you just, you just can't don't... change your thought on a player that much who's 27 years old in 30 games. That's just never going to be a good process. Uh, agreed. And like, I, I get he backed up what he did last year. And again, good good for him. But I just, I don't understand why Toronto did this deal now. Um, Because like, let's yeah. be honest, unless he scores three game winners in, in the playoffs or something like that and 
goes, then that takes him to the Stanley Cup final. His value is not going up from what it is right now. And if if that did happen, I'm sure the Toronto Maple Leafs would be more than happy to pay him because the value went up accordingly. But yeah, I just I get you don't want to walk anyone to free agency or anything like that. But for him to have gotten this value from anyone else in the league in terms of ninety two million dollars, because anyone else could only offer him seven years, he would have had to get thirteen point four million dollars AAV from someone else. Like, do you, do you really think someone was going to pay him that? And if the answer is no, there's no, exactly. And if the, and the answer, which is obviously going to be no, you should then be pushing it down the road, in my opinion, anyways, to the point where you say, okay, like, we're not going to give you 11.5, but 10.8 or whatever. And, you know, even that, I think I would still have a little bit of the same opinion, but maybe not as aggressively. I just, to, to me, it made absolutely no sense for the Toronto Maple Leafs to feel they had to do a deal right here, right now. Yeah, it, it's too bad because it, this is a shitty thing with the salary cap too, right? Like your favorite player gets a deal and you just immediately are like, shit. Like it shouldn't be that way, but it's it's all I can. Yeah, like that. that's the tough thing is that, and just unfortunately the reality that, you know, we're living in right now with the NHL. But yeah, it's a deal like this to sign a guy who is already, I think, top 10 in scoring, if I'm not mistaken, with the Maple Leafs, or definitely like top 30 or something like that. Like he's way up the list than I uh, thought he would be, but will definitely end up top 10, top five in scoring or whatever. Um, to keep him around for eight more years should be just unanimously celebrated. But again, because of the cap, it can't be quite that simple. Yeah, yeah, it never is. So... I'm, again, like I think, there's there's obviously worse ways to spend money than giving William Nylander eleven point five million dollars. Um, so from that standpoint, like I don't think it's a horrendous contract, but I just I, I can't get over the fact that literally three four months ago, not a soul in the like if they gave the, him this contract before the season started, people would be calling for Brad Treliving's head right there and then. Yeah, and they'd be like, oh, it's a panic move. And they would be right to have said that. So, and again, like, he's had a phenomenal start to, like, first half of the season here. But as you've already kind of pointed to, there has been a little luck involved in that, you know? Um, so, and I guess the, the last thing I'll say on it, in terms of the deal that actually got done, is if you, if all it took was 35, 36 games to give him this contract, you should have just been willing to go eight by 10 with him in the off season or whatever he was asking for then. Oh, hundred percent. Like without, without even questioning. Cause yeah, I, I don't understand. And it's all bonus laden and he's got the no move and everything. Like, I just don't understand what they negotiated for here. That's a great point. Like it's not like he, he's getting $69 million in signing bonus money of this contract. He has a full no trade for the entire contract. You know, like it, it just kind of seems like he got literally everything he asked for and didn't have to give anything back. And uh, again, great for the player. That's amazing. But yeah, from a purely team standpoint, I just keep looking at it. And I go, what did Toronto accomplish by making this deal here and now? Yeah, I got, I got nothing. And 
you know, I, I think what they will probably say is what we accomplished is we kept a player that is one of the best in the NHL around for eight more years, which is which is fair. Like there is obviously value to that, but the the whole point is just that it probably should have been for a million and a half cheaper uh, than what you actually signed them to. But um, if we let's look on the on ice play going forward here. I'm a little concerned in terms of next year. I think that is obviously going to be the squeeze year if they keep Marner, keep and like Tavares is staying, obviously, because yeah. Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Matthews will all be ta- making $10.9 million or more. That is going to be a tight, tight cap situation. Now, the year after that, when uh, Nylander's in de- year two of this deal, you might have a little more relief because yes, Marner's deal will obviously be up, uh, but Tavares's deal is off the books, and you would have to assume if they're resigning him, it's because they're getting a pretty good discount on the next one. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to the Malkin deal on him, like three by five kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, maybe Tavares doesn't want that. Who knows? Because you know, like for the Malkin deal, we saw the the Backstrom deal or whatever, right? Which was was it five by eight and a half or nine or something absurd like that? Like it was a lot, whatever it was. So it's not a slam dunk, but, but the Leafs at least have the option of if Tavares is still asking for like $9 million walking away from that and using his 11 and a half elsewhere, 11 or whatever he makes. Right. So, um, but next year is going to be tough. Uh, And then from beyond that, you know, you kind of have to go. One of the things I saw about this contract, which we're just going to see with every contract from here on in, well, the cap's going up. And there is truth to that. And if you want to say we're dedicating Nylander's, what is that, a $5 million raise, I guess? He's at 6.9, basically. Um, yeah, basically five clean. Yeah, four, four and a half, I guess, then. Um, Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to say, yeah, the four and a half is, you know, we're projecting the cap to go up four and a half million over the next two years, two off seasons or whatever. Um, Cause I think it's already announced to go up three this year, if I'm not mistaken. Or is uh, it even higher than that? Uh, three sounds me, right, but I don't know. I'm just going to try and catch it in either way. If you say, yeah, we're dedicating the cap increase, $87 million next year is what it is. Uh, what it's projected at. So, what um, is the actual number? Nobody is on the actual cap. Everybody's over it. So I always forget the real number. Yes. Uh, the actual cap right now is 81 and a half. Okay. So it is going up substantially. Um, that's but a pretty again, big it is, which is, which is good. Like that's what you want to see. Um, but again, if, if like, sorry, it's 83 and a half right now, I think, but still, um, so it's a $4.5 million race, basically, from what it is right now, or just over $4 million. So if you want to say the entire cap going up this offseason is what we're dedicating the lander, that's totally fine. And that is enough logical sense in a vacuum, in my opinion. But the problem becomes this is what people have defended for every contract already signed over the last year. And if the Leafs go out and sign some fourth liner to a bad contract, people are going to try and use that as the same reasoning, when in reality... If you've already dedicated this cap to Nylander, you can't use the same argument for this offseason if they give some third liner three by four million or whatever. Yeah, it's like, you know, when the, when people talk about like sports betting incentives, but like a lot of them are already baked into the lines. 
Like mm-hmm. I assume the cap going up was like people in the league six months ago were not signing contracts, being like, "Well, the cap hasn't been officially announced to go up yet, so we're just going to assume it's going to stay flat for twenty five more years." Like it was when Pasternak signed his deals, for example, which would be compared to the Nylander one forever now. Like they knew the cap was going up over the course of that deal by a significant amount. They might not have known the exact number, but that's got to be pretty baked in. Yeah, at least to a degree, right? Like, and I think I saw someone saying that if we, because, you know, this will kick in obviously next year. So if you use that $87.675 million uh, approximate is what they were uh, they were basing it off of. Um, I think the percentage of cap that he signed now is equivalent to what Marner signed at the time of his deal, if I'm not mistaken. 13%, I want to say, is uh, what it was. Um, yeah, makes sense. So, like, from that standpoint, I, I kind of get it, I guess. But, yeah, like, as you mentioned, like, it's definitely baked into that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, it's a weird feeling because, you know, William Elan or someone we have defended on this podcast plenty like countless times over the years right but um this was a deal that i I looked at i just go off i just don't know if i can justify why this was signed right now and maybe it gets to the offseason they go on a deep playoff run and they lose in game seven a a conference final or or go to a cup final or something like that and after the season william goes or nylander goes sorry if you're going to sign me it's 11.7 by eight or i'm going free agency and they do the deal then to me, I, I feel like I would have been more positive on that than what I was here, just because it just feels so reactionary when I don't see how the value is going to be growing much more than this is my biggest stumbling point, I guess. Yes, I'm I'm exactly with you. There's there's almost no way he outperforms this deal, but there's a lot of ways he underperforms it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see, I've already seen a lot of takes of, well, why should the Leafs care what happens in years four, five, six, seven, eight, or six, seven, eight of this contract or whatever? It's like, well, generally speaking, I would tend to agree with that logic. But the reason that I keep coming back to it is, yeah, like the goal absolutely should be to win a cup right now. But I don't know if paying William Nylander $11.5 million next year helps that in terms of, it does, sorry. That's not the right word. It definitely helps it, but to it still limits the, the possibilities to a degree. And the second part of that is, while yes, the goal absolutely should be to win a cup right now while you have this team in its prime, Austin Matthews is one of the very few players over the last like 20 years that, you know, you can confidently say there is a reasonable enough degree that you should expect he is still elite when he's 32 years old, which would be in six years. You know, so yeah. you you should be ca- caring if you're going to be punting $11.5 million on a 34-year-old William Nylander or not. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going to happen, but this idea that they should only focus on the next three years and not give a damn about what happens after that just seems very strange to me because there's a good chance with how skilled their high-end players are in five to six years, they could still be performing much like we saw Crosby do into his mid thirties and still now, honestly, but you know, much like we saw Crosby do much like we saw Malkin do Ovechkin, like Austin Matthews is among that kind of player that we rarely ever get to see, but 
you should be reasonably expecting that he's still very, very, very good in his 30s. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like, we've seen it a bunch of times. It was like, with the Sid, Sid, how old was Ovi when they when he won his cup? 33, I want to say. 30, 33, like, even non-elite necessarily, like the um, the Blues. Mm-hmm. Like, was... Petrangelo was 28, 29. Yeah, like, and that was not the best Blues team. Like, that was a post, like, win now window Blues team. And that's when they got their cup in there, kind of thing. Yeah, like, it just, even Tampa, you know, like, they, they won a couple. And obviously, Tampa's a little different because Kucherov was still kind of in that 27 year range, you know, when they won. But, like, Steven Stamkos was into his 30s as well. And, he wasn't necessarily a primary driver, especially on that first one where he was literally injured, unfortunately, the whole run. But like, yeah, like a lot of the teams that do win the cup have guys, key contributors in their 30s, late 20s, etc. Like it it should be a little more than just a two to three year window of when they want to win. And then that's about it, you know? And, and again, the focus absolutely can be on the next couple of years because they are in a, a spot they rightfully feel they can compete. But I don't know. To me, again, a defense of this contract was who cares what happens in year six, seven, and eight of it. It's like, I I just don't think they should be thinking like that. If that yeah. is, and I'm not saying they are, but if that is a re- way that they thought about this when signing it, that just seems like not good process to me. Yeah, that's a mistake to do. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't really change much for this year, but uh, it, it will make this summer very important for Brad Living and team to prove that they can effectively acquire cheap depth, which, you know, for the, all the faults that are for faults that Kyle Dubas had, which, you know, there, there were some more than fair acquiring cheap depth is one thing he did very, very, very well. Um, so we'll see if yeah. the, the new regime can do it as well. Yeah. Margin for error is gone. Yeah, exactly. Especially for next year, you know, it opens up yeah. a little bit maybe after that, but you know, for next year, you're going to be pretty tight squeeze against the cap. Yeah. So, anything else you want to touch on with the Nylander deal, Chase? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, again, I feel bad being this negative on it because Nylander is a great, amazing player. Um, but I just don't get it from the team's perspective uh, for this second anyways. But... Um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, before we move on, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity. We want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbooks accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profit, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, which is signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you'll automatically receive the top offer at each one. Uh, if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash mnm all right let's move on to a trade that happened uh one of the bigger ones i can recall middle of the season kind of like this um and basically out of nowhere uh i hadn't heard anything about you know this being a rumor until it happened and then obviously we got some um 
reason why it happened after, but uh, Jamie Drysdale is on his way to the Philadelphia Flyers along with a 2025 second round pick in exchange for top prospect Cutter Gauthier, who uh, just finished winning a gold medal with Team USA and looked really, really good while doing it. Um, bit of a wild trade here, Chase. Uh, obviously, it comes, we get the news after that. The reason this happened is Gauthier did not want to sign with Philly. He basically ghosted them, it sounds like, at the World Juniors, where Briere and um, Keith Keith Jones, is that it? Uh, they're, I think so. yeah, they're, they're vice president of hockey operations. Um, they both went to Sweden, talked to, you know, primarily talked to him. And I guess he just didn't even give them the, the meeting. So they moved on and they went with Drysdale and a second round pick. Um, where do you want to start with this? You know, I, again, what was your reaction? My reaction was what on earth? Uh, and then once we started, get, me too. Yeah. And then when we started to get details, it made a little more sense. What's your reaction from the value? Let's start with Anna or uh, Philly's perspective, I guess. The value they got back for Cutter Gauthier. What do you think of Drysdale? He's the biggest wild card in this to me by a significant margin. Yeah, I think I don't hate the bet on a player like that. I think betting on Drysdale makes more sense to me than a 27 year old, just good roster player, or even like a 25 year old or whatever. But I was a little underwhelmed just because like Drysdale's really, really struggled. Um, and I don't know. I'm still in between of wanting to hold on hope that he is only 21 years old and there's still room to grow. And, you know, as weird as it sounds, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, but if you would have said, three, four years ago, oh, he's going to torts. I don't feel good about that at all. But now that he's going to John Tortorella, I actually feel weirdly a little bit better than yeah. his current oh, situation. I agree with that. I mean, yeah, because what worries me is his lack of offensive generation because I am really willing to buy an argument that Philly can clean up the defense just given how much of a train wreck Anaheim's been for everyone. I think that's coaching problem i agree uh they've been a mess for a couple of years right but yeah but um, not just, like i think they had the worst xga ever that would have surprised me it was just a big red bubble and it, it wasn't much better this year that team is still pretty porous defensively so yeah um yeah like they've just been consistently an outlier in the worst way possible yeah and so what I'm really curious to see is, because I agree with you, I, I think the uh, defensive results will be improved, especially even playing like under someone like Tortorella, who obviously puts a focus on that kind of stuff. But um, I'm curious to see, as you mentioned, if the lack of offensive production was almost a counterpart as well to how bad the defense was, where, I, like, and I, I have no idea if this is actually is the case or not, but you know, if you told me that he actually figures it out as a player and becomes better defensively, and that leads to him doing more offensively with the confidence, I'd be like, yeah, I can see it because I can see a world where you don't want to take any chances pinching offensively on a team that is horrendous defensively because, you know, if you're even a millimeter out of position, someone else isn't going to be doing their job and then it's all going to hell. Yeah, 100%. And this is the team in general just lacked offensive talent. I think as a defender, especially as a young defender breaking in the league, it's kind of absurd to assume most of them are going to generate offense on their own. So you could probably buy that the situation is more influential there. Yeah, for sure. Well. 
Yep, absolutely. Um, that being said, I, I guess my question for you is what do you think and, you know, what does your model think of uh, Cutter Gauthier? Because that that's the biggest thing, I guess, if you want to flip it around is, is this a guy, because obviously he's very hyped. He's one of the more known prospects, just lit up the World Juniors, which is always going to help his value. Do you see that as legit or do you think that it was a decent time to sell considering they knew they weren't going to be able to sign him anyways? Yeah, I think it was a great time to sell. Um, Cutter Gauthier, the model, has never never loved and never hated, basically. It basically has had him projected to be a middle six forward, like a good second liner. And it hasn't, like, his name value has improved, but the model's basically just gotten more confident in him as, like, a second line player rather than, like, him showing legitimate upside at any point since well obviously second line players a lot of upside too but like i still don't see superstar level potential from this player at which point like you know what if you're gonna be moving on from a guy who you're hoping to pencil in as a 2c like now is the time to do it i think yeah i definitely agree i mean how many times have we talked about the world junior bump and you know, that's the time that people get to set eyes on the on the prospects and a lot of their opinion comes from that. Um, and yeah, like I, I think it's good to get that kind of viewpoint on it because the way he is being talked about is a superstar player. And, you know, obviously, yeah. again, fifth overall, you know, just look good in, in, uh, in a national stage. So it makes sense why that's happening. But yeah, it's important to remember that it's like, well, it's not like they're automatically trading away a superstar stud guy here. Like even... I heard a bunch of people refer to him as the Flyers' number one prospect. I'm like, that's absurd. That, that is just not true. You know, like, that's close. and it's again, and some of that might just be easy enough to, you know, Mitchkov is out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, yeah. Mitchkov in his draft year had a better year than anything Cutter Gochi has ever done, and he is two years out of his draft. Yeah, like, it's just one of those things where I think people maybe get too caught up in the prospect hype, you know, like looking at draft position. And, and again, like, it's a very valuable asset to have, don't get me wrong. But yeah, I, I guess the trade just kind of depends on on how you feel about the prospect versus the player. And I think there is fair questions on both sides of things, which is why at the end of the day, I go, it's still a little underwhelming, I think, from Philly's perspective, just given how much hype he is getting, like Gauthier getting right now. But I can see an argument why both teams are very happy with this move. Yeah, I at least understand it both ways. Because there's the thing is, I think you have to, if you know a guy's not going to assign with you, make the deal earlier rather than later. Because mm-hmm. the downside risk of waiting can get really ugly if somebody's basically said, fuck you, I'm not playing for you. Like, you're just at the mercy of a bad situation. You're probably not going to get the exact return you want because you just got highly unlike unlucky. Yeah, exactly. Like, especially, yeah, if it goes further and further and everyone knows, it's like, yeah, you're not going to just hold this out of spite, right? So Exactly. The less you're just going to get less and less, the more obvious it is. At which point, the fact that they sold before it was publicly known that he was not going to be signing with them 
I think probably helped the value they got. Maybe that's the difference between getting that second round pick or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think again, as I kind of mentioned, I, I do still, you know, like Drysdale as not, it's not low risk because you're obviously trading a, a very good prospect, but I, I'd rather them target Jamie Drysdale than again, some, guy you know is a second pair defenseman but is 26 years old or whatever like i i just don't see what that does for philly where there's legitimate upside for drysdale even if he only becomes a very good second pair defenseman who can run your power play one or something like that like that has more value at age 21 because of his window at re- aligning with the team and where they want to compete versus a guy who is probably going to be like 29 years old when you're you're going to want to be good again yeah you just have to go young Exactly. Yeah, like, so say we have Gochi as a second line center. Like, if Drysdale becomes a three, you're happy with that. Yeah, especially because you get the the second in there as well, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of all I have from from the the trade right now. Uh, I, I the the only other the, the I guess the big talking point is um, Philly definitely made it known to carve this guy on the way out. Um, I don't know if I've seen a hit job this aggressive from a front office as a whole on a player like this before. It's pretty funny, actually. It was. I, I get it both way. I, so the front office thing is the thing that, you know, I think is probably not the greatest look in the world. Um, you know, like they're the president of the team, I want to say came out and spoke like, or the not the president, the, the owner. Like, if I'm not, there was like, I, I can't remember who. I'm trying to look. Sorry, I'm trying to look it up. Um, but there was just more people talking about a move of a 19 year old or 20, yeah, 19 year old, I guess, than I ever would have thought needed, even though he asked for a trade out. Yeah, like he's a high pick and everything, but he's never played a game for you. It seemed odd that it was like a full front office mission to go talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, and then, you know, so Gothi comes out and says he received death threats uh, in the aftermath of, the, of everything, which, again, is just not cool at all. Um, yeah, that's brutal. Doesn't really need to be said. And then the other thing that was reported, um, and I'm going to use this term loosely because Kevin Hayes came out and denied it all right away, but part of the reason, it was rumored, and this was just thrown out there, so we're not saying this is true at all, but the rumor that was going around was that Gauthier had talked to Kevin Hayes a lot and that Kevin Hayes might've been part of the reason he wanted out of Philly. Uh, Kevin Hayes came out and said, no, that's absolutely not true. It's, you know, disgusting basically that anyone else would say that. And then John Tortorella also came out and during the press conference, the reporter who was, who made the rumor or, or mentioned it on his podcast was in the uh, building when he did it. And he carved him a new one for about 30 seconds. Um, which honestly, I, I thought was really good from Torts. Um, yeah, yeah if, that if, sounds if, very on brand for Torts too. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, it wasn't anything incredibly rude or anything like that. But he was just like, you know, Kevin Hayes is a, a great guy. Like, we disagreed about hockey at one point, but that doesn't mean we have ba- any bad or ill will. And you know, the the fact that that was going around, he has to deal with that is is bullshit. Basically, is what he said. So um, good for Torts. Yeah, and it's it, just like that's why people like torts. Yep, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, 
yeah. So just the, the off ice was as interesting as the on ice. And uh, I know I, I don't think we'll ever really get a true reason why he wanted out of Philly. Um, I think it is interesting still because I would have understood like no questions asked. I mean, at any point, you know, it's up to a player if they don't want to go somewhere. That's, that's fair. I would have definitely understood this move a year or two ago or a year ago. I've actually really liked everything that this new regime has done since taking over, you know, like since Daniel Breyer has been hired, I love 95% of his moves, I'd say. Um, so I'm just a little surprised he still felt that way, but again, it's up to him um, at the end yeah, of the day. A hundred percent. So I don't have too much more on this. Do you? I do not. Also, right. you see, I don't know if he's in Garrett asked for the link. Oh, okay. Uh, he is not in. Okay. Do you, can you send it to him? I did, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll keep an eye on it. Do you want to do Felino real quick? Or sure. do you want to? Yeah, we can do Felino quick. Okay. Right. I don't really have a ton there, so I'm sure yeah. we can do that fairly efficiently. Sounds good. All right. The last thing we wanted to hit on uh, before we go to uh, Garrett and the Winnipeg Jets here is uh, there was one more signing that happened with the Chicago Blackhawks. They announced that Nick Felino is re-signed Two years, $9 million total, $4.5 million a year. Uh, this is one of the most absurd contracts I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I couldn't, I, I thought I misread what was happening here. Like, I, I thought generally they, they gave the wrong player or something like that. Um, I, I, Chicago has so much cap room that this is not going to be the end of the world for them at all. You know, looking at their cap sheet right now, only one player is signed beyond 2025-26, and that is Seth Jones. Um, Nick Felino obviously will be now too, but he's on IR. Taylor Hall has uh, obviously uh, is signed next year as well. Like, there's a couple guys who are signed for two years or so, but they have no one up next year. I just even for a um, veteran deal, this seems absurd to me. Yeah. Yeah, especially in a league. I know Yolo was mad at them for this too, and, and I definitely agree with this. Like in a league where everyone's broke, there is presumably more value in getting your veterans that come with like second round picks and stuff. I know you can't infinitely do that necessarily, but I have to imagine there are people trying to cap dump people right now, and some of them have good leadership and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure some of it is stability or whatever too. I just I, I can't believe four point five million dollars for 37 and 38 year old Nick Felino is what that it took to keep him around. But yeah, but I don't want to crap on this deal too hard either, because again, I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference one way or the other, but it definitely feels like a case of like, even if it doesn't make a huge difference, there is probably a slightly better way you could have used this space. Yeah, I agree with that. It's definitely not the most optimal way to spend that money, even if it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, we're going to throw it over to our uh, interview with Garrett Hall now. Uh, so hope you all enjoyed, and we'll talk to you after. All right, joining us on the podcast now, it is the one and only Garrett Hall. Talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for joining us this evening. How's it going, man? It goes. It goes very well. Thanks it's, for having uh, me on. Yeah, Sorry. no problem. It's uh, been something we wanted to do for a couple weeks here now because uh, Winnipeg has obviously been uh, a team that, 
basically everyone by surprise, I think is fair to say uh, early in the season. And it kind of felt like to me anyways, and you can tell me if this is how it felt on your end or not, that, you know, the first couple of weeks, it was like, ah, eh, maybe lightning in the bottle here. You know, they're, they're going to come back down to earth. But the longer we get on into January here, and it, it seems like more and people are kind of recognizing this, this team looks legit and should be rightfully considered one of the top teams in the Western Conference and the NHL. Yeah, I mean, the quick answer is I agree. Um, I mean, obviously, PDO go brr a little bit. But, um, um, I mean, when you have Connor Hellebuyck, like, you know, everyone always says PDO should regress, but like, you know, what does it regress to? Um, true talent of every team is not exactly on the dot 100 because otherwise goaltending and finishing talent wouldn't matter. So um, we, I, I believe that the Winnipeg Jets are an above average goaltending team, whether or not, I mean, Connor Helbick is probably putting together right now his best season thus far. So uh maybe it's a tiny bit unsustainable but, but yeah they're they're still a legitimate team good team and they're really really good defensively um they really smothered teams uh exceptionally well um which makes you know everyone struggle when you know a team is performing elite defensively but on top of it they also have elite goaltending so yeah absolutely i think that was one of the bigger things that surprised me. I kind of thought, you know, with Hellebuck, obviously they were going to be around the playoffs, which is where they've been for a number of years now, I think it is, you know, just kind of thinking of it. But um, when I looked, the, the last time I had looked, I think they were, you know, top 10 in both expected goals and uh Corsi four percentage uh, at five on five. I don't know if that's dipped at all, um, but the fact that they... Are they okay? That that's good to know. Um, yeah, the, the fact that they are controlling play as well as obviously having some luck, which uh, you know they, they put themselves in a position to get, I would say, uh, has been the biggest thing for me. And and one of the big talking points that I wanted to focus on was the Pierre Luc Dubois trade. We were both pretty Chase and I were both pretty positive on it at the time, but uh, it has worked out better than I think anyone could have imagined. Um, not only from the return they got, but obviously how Pierre-Luc Dubois season's going with the LA Kings right now. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about luck, I, I, me personally, I would suggest that some of Pierre-Luc Dubois' bad season, quote-unquote quote bad season is, uh, or maybe disappointing season is a, a better terminology to use, is in part uh, luck because, you know, the guy's lost a lot of his finishing touch. Um, he's never been a very good defensive player. He's always been more of a guy that um, pushes play offensively. And um, and normally his best scoring attribute is uh, being net front on the power play one unit. Um, I'm of a personal belief that I've never actually fully tested myself that uh, there is a non-quality factor on being on the first power play unit than the second power play unit that isn't currently um being measured in any uh model uh right now um and i think so him being on the second units uh is really hurting his uh offense when he's you know having some shooting percentage issues and such like that but yeah i was really big on the trade myself because I, I i think on the day it happened i said something along the lines of um there's a pretty significant chance that velarde and Pierre-Luc Dubois are 
somewhat around of soft. So everything else is just, you know, icing on the cake. And one of the biggest problems with the Jets last year was the fact that, or the two biggest problems with the Jets last year was one, their defense sucked. Um, they were not that very good defensively. They were being propped up by Hellbuck and on top of it, um, they just didn't really have much depth. Uh, if anyone got injured or um, like, you know, the Jets started off the season very good last year, but then when their top guns stopped scoring, um, their bottom nine really, other than Ehlers, couldn't really do anything. Um, they weren't really producing points, but uh, yeah, that, that was a huge change in their depth. But the other thing that was a big change in the depth was both of their deadline acquisitions ended up being long-term acquisitions. Like they got Nino Niederreiter, who had another year on his contract, and they got Vladimir Nemestikov, and he got extended in the summertime so you know that was two more depth pieces and you know Blake Wheeler was loved in Winnipeg but um he really stunk defensively so basically you know they had a big turnaround because they lost Ehlers for most of the season last year they lost Perfetti for most of the season last year they didn't have Niederreiter for most of the season last year they didn't have Nemestikov for most of the season last year they didn't have Iofalo and they didn't have Velarde that's how many you know, their top nine right there. Chase, do you want to jump in? Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm curious specifically about the team's defensive improvements because if you had asked me where they would have improved over the summer, I would have said the same thing. Like the forward depth is really good, but being such a good defensive team with basically the exact same defense score, unless I'm missing anyone is not something that I would have seen coming. Do you know what's been, or like, what do you think has been the drivers there of that term? I think it's part, I don't know if it's half and half or what percentage, but I think it's two different factors. Um, one is they have some fairly strong, competent defensive players pretty much on every line. Um, Velarde's on the top line and then Perfetti and uh, Nemestikov on the, you know, everyone calls it the second line, but a nice time. They're actually the third line. Um, and then, uh, uh, or I guess EFL right now because of the injury. And then you got Lowry um, and uh, Niederreiter on the third line. And, you know, like the fourth line, they've been able to do pretty well. And I think, I think part of it is bonuses system is a system where like you watch the Jets and pretty much, like one of the things that I've been doing is I've been tracking some microstats with transition and the jets are equally efficient or inefficient as they were last year. But the big difference is as soon as they screw up, like as soon as someone turns over the puck, the next jet player is already attacking the person with the puck. So like you watch a game and it's almost suffocating for the other team because it's, you know, within two seconds of someone turning over the puck that that opposition already has a check on them pretty much right away and it happens in waves also like when they're trying to transition forward like um they they do a two on two and like so when they're four checking um you you see the the you know the two guys are low and the third guy like even when they're like board battling like the third guy is standing in a position that's like pretty um defensively uh responsible even when the jets might get possession of the puck because like what can happen is like they're able to pretty much attack the guys right away because like as soon as you know the opposition passes the f1 and f2 the f3 just goes straight to him 
and the F1 cycles back. And if you someone passes the puck, so it passes F3, the defenseman will um, jump forward and close the gap. And they do that with confidence because F1 and F2 should be back checking fast enough that they'll be able to support them behind, which is what it does. It just creates a drowning effect because you never have a moment of like being able to breathe. And so I think, I think it's a combination of one, they have lost a lot of their worst defensive players because Pierre Dubois wasn't that great. Like the Jets, basically their top ice time forwards were all bad at defense. Um, Shifley for a while, Ehlers, Connor, PLD, Wheel, or I think I said Wheeler already. Um, Shifley, did I say them all? Yeah, but now all of a sudden you lose a couple of those, so you lose PLD and you lose Wheeler, and then so you have Shifley, Connor, and Ehler still. But um, Wheeler was the worst of the three or the five, and then on top of it, um, your their your whole depth is all people who can help out, but on top of it. Another addition to it is, you know, three of those five guys were all on the same line uh, last year. Um, yeah. You don't have that anymore. You always have someone that's on there that's able to help out. And um, models do a good job in uh, detecting uh, what we expect for a player to perform based off of their individual qualities in terms of how good and uh, they are as a player overall. Uh, but one of the things that we're still, you know, waiting upon is to be able to look at more chemistry effects and psychological effects. Cause like not everyone's going to act the same. Um, you know, like I always say Drew Doughty is like one of the greatest examples of that. Like you look at his, you look at his performance based off of, um, in all models versus like how good his team is he's just you know he just doesn't care as much when his team sucks so he yeah. doesn't put that same level of effort um so is was he a bad player during that time i mean he was a bad impact but he probably could have been a good player during those years if he wanted to but he didn't because he wasn't worth it and didn't really do anything and i mean that's a that's a character trait not every player is going to be like that there's some players who you know no matter where they are they're going to give it their all um and you know, you might say that you you want a certain player versus another, but you know, that's not the argument I'm trying to make right now. Yeah, I think the interesting thing as well from the the style of play you touched on and, and those co- kind of coaching changes, I guess I'll call them, with the roster changes, obviously, as well, is we hear cliches toss or toss around so often of oh playoff hockey and the coach has them playing, you know, hard to play against it and all this stuff. And a lot of the times it's just kind of buzzwords for, you know, when a team's getting hot goaltending or, you know, riding a shooting wave or something like that. But, you know, those adjustments of being more diligent in your own end, attacking as soon as you screw up or, or as a loose puck, you know, those are something that feels tangible to keep repeating itself. Um, You know, which again, might, might sound, obvious when you say it out loud, but I don't think it actually is as obvious to people as maybe you think. And, you know, I I say that from a unique perspective, watching the complete opposite in the Ottawa Senators on a nightly basis, where basically everything you described of what Winnipeg does well in their own end, Ottawa does whatever the exact opposite of that is. So um, the the fact that, you know, you can see the change from year to year and how they're playing, I think 
in my opinion anyways, and you can tell me if I'm off on this, but I think the coaching staff probably deserves a little bit of credit or more credit than maybe they're even getting uh, on a, on a national scale at this point. Yeah, I think so. Um, the one thing that I wonder is not everything, not every system and not every um, way coach, the way that coaches do things is necessarily always the best thing for the particular team. Um, it might be the optimal in general, but it might not be optimal for that specific team. And that's, you know, that's one thing that I, I can't unfortunately argue. I, I don't know. Like, yes, the system really works out well with the Jets, with the type of depth that they have. But the, you know, like you look at hockeyviz.com's SG model, the Jets only have one or two players that are performing at a first line level in forwards. But I think they have 13 that are at least a third line level. So, you know, the system that the Jets are playing to right now is a system that, you know, it doesn't require you to be exceptionally good. It just requires you to be exceptionally responsible. And, you know, that might not necessarily work for every team. Like back when the Jets, you know, had a lot more uh, skill, finesse, and players who really wanted to score. Like, I mean, they still have that with, you know, Connor and Ehlers and stuff like that, but you know, they're able to, you know, play within the confines of this system because of the fact that most of the team is, you know, fits that system quite well. So like, you know, is bonus extremely intelligent because he's brought in a system that works well for his team or is he extremely lucky that the system he wants to bring in fits really well with his team? I, I have no way to know. Um, it's impossible for me to be able to say that, but either way it's working. Makes sense. There's probably value too with like, again, like if you want to be playing a suffocating defensive style with talking about like how the models adjust for it, getting players that interact well with that specific style, it's just not in there at all. Whereas if you want to bring in a deeper, more defensively responsible room and then fit a style around that, like there's value in probably having a coherent ideology all the way through your team build, if that makes sense with getting players that interact with that scheme instead of having, you know, like you said, when they had five, their five leaders in ice time are all terrible defensive forwards. Like if you try to play that style, it's probably not going to fly or at least not go nearly as well with that exact same group. Yeah. And I think another factor that gets missed a lot is the fact that the Jets have three fairly really responsible and strong defensively defensemen um, with, I always call them the three Dylans, uh, Dylan DeMello, uh, Dylan Sandberg, and Brendan Dylan. So the three Dylans, um, all three have played all 42 games. So there's a little bit um, when you got three fairly strong shutdown defensemen and all three play on a different pairing and all three have played all 42 games. That means you have a good analytical shutdown defenseman on for all 60 minutes of, well, not all 60 minutes of the game, because if the Jets are pressing, what they do is they uh, double shift uh, Neil Pionk. So, and, um, and occasionally Nate, Sch- Nate Schmidt. So they'll double shift the offensive guys, but most of the time, uh, other than when they're trailing late, they'll, they pretty much have a good analytical defensive defenseman on the ice at all times. And they've been healthy enough to play every game. 
The other thing I wanted to touch on too, I know there's a couple specific players we wanted to dive into, but you talk about uh, having, you know, your best players on the ice more often and something that we've seen recently. And, uh, you know, almost unfortunately in part to uh, Kyle Connor injury was uh, Nikolai Ehlers getting uh, more of an expanded role. I will say with the, with the team, um, he's always been an interesting player to me because every time I watch him and, you know, just his underlying numbers always look very, very solid. Like they have for what, almost a decade now, I guess, or six, seven years, but he's never really seemed to take or be given that top line role and, you know, kind of break out to a, a star that I think might've been projected at, at one point or another in his career. And, um, you know, I, I just looked it up real quick because I want to see since uh, December 13th, which is when Kyle Connor was announced to be out six to eight weeks. And I believe Ehlers was moved up right away, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he is sitting at eighth in expected goals for per 60 in the league, 18th in Corsi four per 60 and seventh in goals four per 60 uh, among skaters with at least a hundred minutes of time on ice, which are about 300. Um, is there a reason that you can tell why Ehlers hasn't been given more of an opportunity before now? Has it been, you know, obviously there's been some injury, bad luck, but has there been something with his play that doesn't lead to it? Or is it just an oversight? Um. So there's a lot of Winnipeg Jets fans that uh, have a little saying, um, injuries making better coaching decisions since 2011, uh, which, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it happens a lot of, like I, I've worked with coaches and I've worked with GMs and I'll say that like coaches and GMs are a lot better than what they're given credit for by a lot of us who make fun of them even me at times. Um, but still there is definitely um, a hesitancy to um, to try to keep the status quo because it's just kind of the way the incentives are built into the system where unless things are not working, um, you don't really have incentives to change things. Um, so that's a big factor. And another big factor is that everything that impacts you um psychological i don't want to say psychologically but like everything that um impacts you know your perception of the way that you view players and um the way that you remember players based off of your uh, memory is very um uh usage dependent uh just because like there's, there's a reason why people's perception of players often correlates very highly with point totals you know people always joke oh you're just you know looking up their point totals and just you know ranking them by that and it's, it's not actually that it's more the fact that you know those are the types you know that's the way our memory works you know these high um outstanding high output moments are what stands off in our head but those moments are exceptionally exceptionally driven by usage um, you know, like just to give Ehlers, um, as an example, um, I, th this is in the, I think the last, since 2017, 2018, this is, um, I think he's ranked third, third and a whole bunch of firsts. And then this season second in five on five points per minute on the team. Um, in terms of players who've played at least half the half the team's games. So relative to ice time, 
because like a lot of people they're you know they say oh you got all the fancy stats and whatever but you know he just doesn't put up the scoring numbers that uh Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor did and it's like he scored more than they did relative to ice time some of that is because of injuries you know and so people would use points per game it's I find it really weird that not weird but I find it interesting that you know a lot of people will be like okay the person played less games so i will account for that by looking for five points per game but they won't be like this guy didn't get power play time so i'm only going to use five on five this guy didn't uh get the same number of minutes so i'm going to do it relative to ice time like you know those those seem like intuitive te- steps to take the very same uh steps to take when you go from points to points per game but you know i got a lot of fight back on uh reddit because they're like well you know if he was playing on the first line um he would actually get score less because he'd be playing against the top defensemen more often it's like you know what what's worse you know playing with the top defensemen you know for 10 percent more of your ice time or you know getting 15 percent more ice time and also getting that 15 percent with better players plus the old ice time that you used to get is also with better players so you know you're getting this huge jump um that's why, you know, like I've been meaning to actually crunch down the numbers. I already have a model that kind of projects how much, you know, an average fourth liner would score if he's on the third line or second line or first line, you know, how much of that would be because of ice time increase, how much of that would be because of boot being with better linemates, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something that I've been wanting to look at, but that's a huge uh, factor right there. Um, also some of it's just injury luck last year, Rick bonus actually wanted Ehlers to start on the first line. Uh, so he actually started the Jets started with Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor and, um, Nick Ehlers, but then he got injured. And so then Blake Wheeler went on that line and then never broke after. So it's a little bit of bad luck, but, uh, a little bit of, you know, uh, you get a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy with like you know the guys that are on the top line get the most minutes so they get the best opportunities to score especially you know when the games you know in those big big leverage moments you're putting your top your perceived top gun guys there and so then all of a sudden they are able to you know score those clutch points but they're the only guys that are being given those clutch minutes so they're the only ones that really have the opportunity to create those clutch moments so yeah yeah, just to me, it's just something that I wish we could have seen this, you know, a little more consistently before he turned 27 years old. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's good yeah. to see at least now, you know, better late than ever. Right. Um, but the thing you, you hit on a really good point of um, people, the, the most common pushback of, oh, well, if you move him up against the lineup, he's going to do worse because he's playing with better players or playing against better players, sorry, people always seem to forget that in theory, that should mean you're playing with better players as well if you're moving up your own team's lineup. Uh, And the other thing that I kind of always push back on, especially with someone like Ehlers, is, okay, so worst case scenario, he doesn't do as good as you were hoping, and those rate stats decline as he moves up with a little more ice time, even, even if the overall point totals increase a little bit. At least you know that is the case. And and that's always been the case of, and I get Winnipeg's in a little different boat because it's not like they've been rebuilding for six, seven years or anything like that. But there's definitely feels like opportunities where it's like, okay, end of the year or in that middle February slump where 
nothing ever seems to happen because we haven't quite gotten to the trade deadline, but we're after the all-star game and all that stuff, like give them a, a long look there because then you kind of know what you have going forward. If you needed to move him up for a long-term situation like Kyle Connor going down. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's necessarily this regime's fault or anything like that, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, like I, I think um, I've seen enough pushback just from, you know, the, the part of Winnipeg, Twitter or Reddit that I, I kind of look at as well, that it doesn't surprise me that the common arguments pushing back against dealers are what you laid out. I just, I always find it interesting that it only seems to go one way. And it, is it not better that you at least know what you have or where a player's ceiling is versus just being like, yeah, we, he might be able to do this. We're not really sure. It can yeah. also be worth a trade-off too. Like if your Ehlers on first on the team and scoring, like even if your points per 60 goes down, you move up. It still could be a net positive, even if he's going down as you're increasing him and the guy who you're knocking down the lineup is going up, depending on what the priors are there. Yeah, I mean, that that was the, that was, I made a big argument last year because, as I mentioned last year, the Jets were scoring wise pretty much one line plus Ehlers. And um, when that one line went into a drought, that that's when the team started to crash hard. And, um, I kind of argued that it, like one of the things that Rick bonus, you know, this is going back to coaching and stuff like that. One of the things that Rick bonus did that was hurting the team last year, but it's helping that he's doing the exact same thing this year, but this year it's working is he's made the Lowry line that everyone calls the third line, actually the second line, Lowry line, the Lowry line has a second line and that's been working fine because the jets have the depth to score, but they didn't have the depth to score last year. And so what was happening was, you know, the team was trailing, and their best scorer, who is not on the top line, was on the third line. Like, Ehlers wasn't playing on the second line last year. He was playing on the third line. He was playing on the third line before... Um, he actually went on the first line a couple of days before uh, Kyle Connor got injured this year. He actually went up um, when they were having some struggles, and he went on the line with Kyle Connor, and they were actually doing pretty much as good as they've been doing since Connor's injury, that top line. When it was Connor... Shifley Ehlers, they're doing exceptionally good and um, exceptionally well, good English. Uh, and then when Velarde replaced um, Connor with the injury, just haven't lost a beat. Uh, but um, yeah, it's I kind of lost my train of thought though. Where were they going? <laughs> um, I was talking about last year. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's like I, I argued, I was like, listen, like Ehlers is scoring almost. 30% more than any other player on the on the team relative to the ice time. So even if you have a drop, he has a huge amount of room where he could drop and still be better a better option. And then on top of it, um historically speaking, players don't see a drop when they get promoted, they see a, an increase. Um now like obviously that number doesn't mean that it would go forever because uh, like the big increase is not because of the increase of the ice time it's because of the increase of quality so it's not like make the player play 60 minutes and they're going to score like a shit time um uh, it's just it's based off of promotions and getting better quality of line mates um but also you know we've we saw it in the couple times where Ehlers did get the minutes he was not an exception because like you can always say well you know that's not every every player so players in general they increase Ehlers when he did they increased so like why not try it when like 
you know, you're having those issues like I'm to score. So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a bit of an issue last year, but it's, you know, that comes back to, like, as I said, you know, bonus was making the same choices last year as this year, this year it's working out because the Lowry line is really good and the team has the goals. And so having a shutdown got line, have lots of minutes is a good thing. Last year when the team was trailing, that wasn't such a good thing. So. Yeah, I mean, that that absolutely makes sense to me. Chase, I want to pass it over to you because I know you had another guy you wanted to uh, take a quick look at as well. Yeah, I wish I I wish I had a more intelligent way to ask this, to be perfectly honest. But I would just love to hear your thoughts on Cole Perfetti. I've been working on the prospect model and backtesting it. It has like would have picked Cole, had Cole Perfetti as like one of the top guys in that draft in the same tier as like Lafreniere and uh, Byfield, which I don't think would have been a popular take at the time. So I've, he's always stuck out in my mind of somebody I want to pay attention to. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on Perfetti as a player. Um, well, when the Jets drafted him, I was I thought um, he had fallen um, to the team. I, and, you know, the Jets have done pretty good, I think, in the first round, taking offensive players who, you know, scoring-wise and model-wise would, generally speaking, uh, be considered better than where they went. Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head, Ehlers, who we just talked about, Perfetti, Cal Connor. I, it's been a long time since I've done prospect modeling um like i think i stopped with the logan stanley draft was the last time that i um did prospect modeling but yeah um cold cold profetti uh you know everyone always talks about hockey iq and i'm always just like it to me it sounds often when scouts talk about hockey iq they're talking about oh this player does something does good things but i just don't really know why um like the scouts version of over expected yeah. metrics. Yeah. And, the residuals and are all like you. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, because you know, my eyes my scouting is not the greatest. I mean, I used to do a little bit more of it back in the day. Um in like 2011 to 2017. But uh, I've been a little bit out of that game since uh, but you know, like I have to say that. Cole Perfetti has always been, even before he was drafted by the Jets, one of the guys that I was like, okay, that I get it. That guy does have extremely high hockey IQ. Like you see him and he like everyone's like, oh, he's undersized or whatever. And like I I rarely ever see him lose a board battle. Um, and the guy's like tiny. <laughs> um he's not he's not big and like you know sometimes shorter players can if they have like you know really you know thick legs like you think of uh, martin st louis or some of that um he was really good in those type of situations but the guy had legs like tree trunks um you know he was short in stature but he was thick uh is not really like that he more outsmarts players um sometimes by being in the right spot and putting himself in an advantageous uh, position beforehand um, and whatnot. But like, yeah, so analytical models right now really, really like him. You know, like you were talking about like your prospect models and such, they really liked him in the past. Well, a lot of analytical models really like him in the, in the present. Um, I think 
some of that might be because of a softening in terms of usage. Uh, the Jets kind of um, don't put him on the ice uh, when um, there are key face-offs in the defensive zone um, and I and in key minutes and uh, when they're trying to hold leads and uh, late in the third. Um, it turns out that some of that might not actually be mistrust with him. Uh, apparently there was, they let it slip that there was a little bit, he's still recovering a little bit from a wrist injury, so he can't really take face-offs. Uh, so that might be uh, a factor of it. Um, but like, you know, this comes to something that you were saying earlier about, um, when you were talking about Ehlers about like, you might as well try Like one of the things I always said is like, you know, yeah, sure. We have these models and these models are supposed to adjust for usage. And so you got this guy that's sheltered and you're like, Hey, he's doing really well. And someone else is like, yeah, but he's really, really sheltered. I'm like, sure. But you know, if you're doing extremely well in sheltered minutes, that means you can at least take a larger load and you know, maybe you drop back a little bit. Maybe you don't either way, you'll be pretty good. Um, or at least decent. And, you know, the other thing is like who's the person who's the type of player that you want to try you know the player that is you know struggling in sheltered minutes or the player that's like doing thank exceptionally you. well thank you that's oftentimes the, the replacement is not doing any yeah. better so it's like well what what's the point in not trying what what's the difference between the player that you don't know is bad or the player that you know is bad like this is this is like a thing that I argued with Sammy Niku people always thought like I was some huge fan of Sammy Niku and they're like oh he didn't really do well in the in the NHL so you're wrong and I was like no like that wasn't the thing um the thing was like the guys that the Jets were trying on their defense which were like Spiza and um I'm trying to remember all the guys there's just so many Boteto or Bolu yeah there's Bolu oh my goodness there's so (laughs) many bad players like and these were bad players with very very long resumes of being bad players I mean that's a relative term like if we're playing shinny hockey like they would make me look embarrassed um but like they would be like wayne gretzky and i'd just be i don't know tenor glass uh but um at the same time it's like okay we know these guys are bad and so and we're not winning enough games so why not try sammy niku why is he sitting in the press box when you know there was a lot of numbers that suggested that, you know, his scoring in the AHL was good, but his defensive uh, performance was not that great, which turned out to be the problem when he came as an NHL level. But, you know, there was that maybe, there was that if, there was that chance. And like, you know, as slim as the chance may be, it's still a chance versus the ones that, you know, didn't look like they had a chance at all. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense to me. And uh, I'll, we'll get you out on this one quick one before we go. But is there any player on this roster you feel that isn't getting enough credit for the job they do, uh, specifically this year, but can be just in general as well? Um, I mean, we kind of already talked about Perfetti. Um, you know what? It's, this is going to be a very weird answer, but maybe other than Connor Helbiok, who's like, you know, maybe the best goaltender of his age group. Um, maybe Brennan Dillon. 
because he's I didn't see that one coming. He no, me either. I I didn't either. Like I did not. Um, he's having a bit of renaissance season. Uh, he like he's always been a very good shutdown defenseman. Um, and he's doing very well in the type of system that uh, the bonus is running. Um, you look at SG from hockeyviz.com and he is actually performing exceptionally well. Um, I think it's either his best or second best season of his career. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of um, shooting percentage luck. He's right now tied with his career high in goals ever, even though we're halfway through the season. Um, he's got six goals and he's never had more than six goals in the NHL or the American Hockey League. And, and um, if he scores seven goals, that's the most amount of goals that he had, including junior hockey. So, um, so he's having a little bit of a renaissance there so um i've been kind of on twitter pulling for that seventh goal um because i would really like to see him score seven goals or eight or even eight goals and um, maybe i'm starting to get a little biased in 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 pulling for him too because i think um he's enjoyed um one of the th- one of the things that Dylan likes to do is he likes to shadow uh, like tweets sometimes, um, but he's enjoyed it to the point. And like, I, I used to get that all the time with Winnipeg Jets players, but uh, uh, Brendan Dylan's decided not even to, to come out of the shadows because he's full on followed me now on Twitter. So I was enjoying it. Well, the, the 33 year old breakout season is not something you see very often, but uh, it, it's, not, it's yeah. definitely fun at least to see yeah and i don't expect it to be sustainable i'm not expecting a a a repeat of this performance in the future um like apparently there has been a little bit of talks um to both brendan dylan dylan demello um for a contract extension i'm hoping like i i I would like to see uh brendan dylan extended with like you know like a contract that would be comfortable enough for him to kind of like go off into the sunset and move like right now he's on the second pair, but to eventually shift onto the third pair is uh, Dylan Sandberg has been kind of been moving into that role. Um, but yeah. Dylan DeMello was going to be the name that I threw out there as someone who probably doesn't get enough love for how good he is defensively, um, at least yeah. inside of analytics Twitter. Yeah. I, yeah, I just feel like I say it enough with Dylan DeMello. So I didn't feel like saying it, but I mean, he would be a more, uh, legitimate answer to your question. Yeah. But I, I feel uh, like I pumped his tires a lot. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. And I will always be in the same boat when it comes to Dylan DeMello. I miss him on the Ottawa Senators very, very much. So, uh, Garrett, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and, and anything you do? Um, so, yeah, I right now I've gone, I've returned to blogging after a five year hiatus because of work. Um, so I'm no longer, um, not allowed to do things because of NDA. So that's, that's fun. So I'm back in the public sphere. So I'm writing on this website or a sub stack called the five hole, uh, using my last name as a pun H O H L. Um, it is jets centric, um, in terms of my tilt. Um, but it is a blog that does, you know, a lot of non jet specific analytical stuff usually more of a theoretical and teaching bend less about you know how players are performing outside of winnipeg and more in terms of you know like why why we look at certain models why 
um, you know, kind of like teach people how to look at a model and understand, you know, why models might be right, might, might be wrong, um, why you should trust models despite the fact that they're not perfect and, you know, how to kind of the, to try to, you know, use stats in terms of evidence-based thinking. I also kind of like leaning on to evidence-based thinking in terms of personal finance and uh, fitness stuff, which I kind of talk a little bit about on the blog as well. Yeah. So that's about it. Awesome. Yeah. Can't recommend going, checking that out enough. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining. We'll definitely have to have, have you back on down the road. And hopefully if uh, we see a couple Western teams making Western Canadian teams, I should say, making deep playoff runs, we'll have to have you back on then to, to talk all about it. All right. Thanks guys for having me on. Thank you so much to Garrett for joining us. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as uh, we had we enjoyed recording it. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey sixty six, uh, and the podcast on Twitter at MM Hockey Pod. Uh, and uh, go check out uh, signupexpert.com slash MNM uh, for all your sportsbooks needs and the best deals on sportsbooks as well as to support the brand. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. We hope you all have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Oh.